It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Women's World Hockey Championship. Eleven minutes to go. Canada leading Switzerland three nothing in their semifinal. Canada on pace to average over a shot per minute. Fifty four eight are the shots on goal in favor of Canada. They will win this game. They will play the United States for gold tomorrow. There you go. Uh, yeah, Dump, just a, a dominating performance by Canada, as we have come to expect. Go to 630chat.com, globalnews.ca, to get all the details on the uh, Edmonton Elks vaccination policy. It is similar to what most teams have done. Uh, no, it does not start until the game on October 15th against Winnipeg, so it will not be in place for the games on September 11th and September 18th against Calgary and Winnipeg, respectively. Winnipeg comes to Commonwealth twice this year. So the first Winnipeg game, uh, no restrictions. The second Winnipeg game on the 15th, that's when it starts. You will have to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19, or you will have to provide proof of a negative COVID test taken within uh, 48 hours of kickoff in order to get into Commonwealth Stadium. So those are the details there. You can get in touch on the hotline powered by certain teed professional grade building materials. It's 780-496-0063. Follow me on Twitter at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And you can email me inside sports at 630ched.com. You cannot peek in my basement window to watch me doing the show. That would be creepy and probably trespassing. Creepy. Just as Kellen's voice chimed in there. That caught, that caught me by surprise, buddy. I was like, Kellen's in the room. What's going on? Creepy. The, the, call's come, the call's coming from inside the house. Get out now. Okay. So uh, the, uh, the Olympics, the Winter Olympics are going to happen in February. They, they finished off the, the qualification tournaments for the men's ice hockey over the weekend. So here's how the pools are going to be. Uh, Finland, Sweden, Slovakia, and Latvia will be in Group C. Group B, the Russian Olympic Committee, the Czech Republic, Switzerland, and Denmark, and then Canada in Group A with the United States, Germany, and China. So that's a nice – if the NHLers go, which it sounds like they will, probably by the end of the week we're going to get an official announcement that the NHL players will indeed take part in the Olympics. You're going to have – most likely. I mean, I can't see why they wouldn't make their respective teams. You will have you will have Leon Dreisaitl for Germany and Connor McDavid for Canada going head-to-head in uh, a round-robin game. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, Canada, United States, Germany, and China going to be in Group A. John Shannon was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, and Stoff said would NHL players have to be vaccinated to take part in the Olympics? Uh, I, I'm not sure of, of other sports, but the plan is for the hockey players to be at all to be vaccinated. That is imperative to uh, what the NHLers are asking for. Um, it, it, but you know, the reality at the NHL level for the club teams, Bob, is is that uh, I'm not sure that there will be a mandate from the league 
agreed to by the Players Association that says every player has to be vaccinated. I, 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 I think that will have to be collectively bargained. And I'm not sure that there's an appetite to, to bargain that. What the appetite would be is to penalize somehow, make it punitive for players who don't get vaccinated, vaccinated, uh, vaccinated rather, uh, in order to uh, play a regular NHL schedule. All right, so a little bit there from uh, John Shannon about NHL players going to the Olympics in February. Likely going to happen. One of the interesting developments in the NHL, an offer sheet. They don't happen a lot, but they do happen sometimes. Uh, it's happened. Montreal making an offer sheet on a Carolina player. Now Carolina making an offer sheet on a Montreal player. One year for Jesperi Kotkaniemi with a $20 signing bonus. That's Sebastian Ajo's number. That's the player the Canadians offer sheeted. So what's going on? Uh, let's dive deeper into this story with Global News Montreal's Brian Wild. Brian, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Having a nice summer in Montreal. Great to be back. Well, it's nice to talk to you. And man, oh man, that was... Do we call it a bombshell yesterday? Or was it <laughs> was it something maybe that we should have seen coming given the history between these two franchises? What do you think of this offer sheet? I think we should call it a bombshell. I mean, I don't think too many people saw it coming. Um, what do I think of the offer sheet? Well, uh, Carolina did a good job of backing the Canadians right up against it, didn't they? That's a lot of money for him. I mean, he's, he, what, he got five goals last year. <laughs> That's a lot of money for that many goals. And, you know, Carolina, Reed, they got to like the player or they wouldn't do it. I mean, everybody, you know, likes to speculate on Twitter how cute it was that you know, they said there was a $20 signing bonus, which is Ajo's number for the revenge factor. And they, they tweeted in French. And that's all fun. You know, that's that's good gamesmanship. Um, but at the end of the day, you better want that player. Or that's a hell of a game to play. You know what I mean? So. Well, well, that's a good point. They, they, they obviously have to accept the possibility that uh, you know Montreal will say, well, go ahead and take him. And then you're paying him that money for, like you said, five goals last season before i ask you to speculate on what you think bergevin's gonna gonna do take mm. us through kotkin Niemi's year i mean i saw more than usual because of the canadian division uh and then obviously they went all the way to the stanley cup final of which he was not a part of every game during that run how would you sum up his past year well obviously inconsistent but i mean that's not unusual for someone in his third nhl season and it's not unusual for a 21 year old i i tweeted something the other day that i think is really important that you know it's pretty rare for 21 to be amazing and it's pretty rare for a third year player to be amazing so for example and by no means am i um, making a comparison between these players talent-wise because these players I'm about to mention are significantly more talented. But by I'm just trying to make the point that three years is, is not the end of someone's development. Like McKinnon broke out in his fifth season. Thornton broke out in his sixth season. Shifley broke out in his fourth season. Voracek broke out in his seventh season. Couturier broke out in his seventh season. So... The point, again, is not that he's those players. He's not those players. The point is, one is not done developing at 21. It's really a young age. So there's really good upside left for the player. So as much as he was inconsistent last year and has been inconsistent over his three years, I mean, he, he actually, I mean, he went to Laval, as everybody knows, in the American Hockey League, where he did really well. But the point is that he was doing so, you know, insignificant that he had to go there. So 
uh, inconsistent is how to describe them. Really nice nights and then nice, you know, nights where you just don't even know he's in the NHL. Okay, so Mark Bergevin, he always seems to be a GM that finds himself in the headlines in the offseason one way or another. <laughs> so true, man. So true. What's he going to do? He's putting on his red suit and he's thinking about this one. <laughs> what do you think he's going to do? <laughs> he can't make a choice unless he puts the red suit on. I right. love it. Um, I feel very confident in saying this. He's going to match. I, I feel really, really confident to say that he will match. I would be absolutely shocked, Reed, if he didn't match. Um, I, I got it at like 95% that they match. They're, they're shallow at center. They got no depth. Um, they lost Deneau. They lost Stahl, of course, which everybody expected. So, I mean, you've got a young Suzuki there as your number one, and you got Kotkaniemi, and you got Jake Evans, um, and you might try Ryan Paling. I mean, there's not a lot there. Uh, they 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 have to <laughs> they have to keep them, and, and they don't want to pay him that. Here's what I see happening: that um, and the, the scuttlebutt is, and I have absolutely no proof of this at all. Of the this is just a rumor uh, that the Hurricanes have actually you know gone beyond the one and that have offered him something with a lower AAV but more years, so he can get more guaranteed money. Um, and I think that's what the Canadians will do to to avoid the embarrassment of paying him six point one for one. They'll uh, expand that out and uh, and have a contract. My guess is right before he would become UFA, so you could still keep the freedom and he would be RFA. He'd have one year left, and then you would be able to at that point uh, either love him or hate him and extend him out or let him go. So that's that's my feeling. He's finished his ELC. That's three years. I see three years with an AAV of four, four and a half, which is still significant, but it takes the embarrassment of 6.1 out. And it's guaranteed money for Jasperi, which is obviously important for a player that has only made less than three in three years because uh, you never know if you can break your leg or something. You got you to get that guaranteed money when you can. So I think he'll do that. He'll take the three years at around four, four and a half. Okay. How's that sound? <laughs> I think that's a, that's really good speculation. That's getting really specific. I like that. And does this, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here because you all know the situation better. But mm. regardless of, of how they pay him this year, does this not eat up a good chunk of uh, Weber yeah, being yeah. on LTIR? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're up against it a little bit. But, you know, like I, I see it this way, okay? So now the 7th D or the 8th D on the depth chart, you didn't, you're not going to get the money you want. And Bergevin is going to have to give up getting a little bit of security and hope that there are no injuries. Because at the end of the day, you know, you can't look at this as we only wanted to give him three and we have to give him six. You have to look at it, I think, anyway, if you're a general manager, and I don't wear a red suit. I'm just wearing a blue T-shirt, so I'm no Mark Bergevin. But I think at the end of the day, you have to say, okay, on the cap situation overall, we're paying him uh, – 3% more on the cap overall, like the entire cap over 80 million. I don't know exactly what the number is. Read my apologies, 82, two, something like that. Um, so they look at it. Okay. We only wanted to pay him four. We're going to pay him six. That's about two, 3% extra on our cap overall. You don't lose a 21 year old that uh, you invested in heavily taking third overall, which at the moment looks like a mistake considering Brady Kachuk was available. 
Um, but that's another story for another day. But in Bergevin's mind, I think you just can't say I'll lose this player. Um, you got to keep the player and you got to eat it. You got to eat the 3% off the total cap situation and the 2 million extra you're going to give them um, and move forward. That's, you know, that's business. It sucks sometimes. Carolina played this well. Um, that's, that's the way it goes. And, but you know what? One other thought, Reed. I know, I know Mark Bergevin really well. Game on, man. He's not going to sit this line down. He's going to find an opportunity when he gets one. And look out, Carolina. He's going to go hard. <laughs> he will. He, he's a competitor, man. You know, he didn't play 20 years with uh, basically no skill at all in the NHL because he wasn't a competitor. I mean, he's a fire individual. And uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> look out, Don. <laughs> because you opened a you opened a, a a real can of worms that he is going to just jump in and throw them back. And I don't have the uh, situation for you, Reed, right now. Like what it's going to be, what the moment's going to be, who the guy is going to be. But oh man, they're they're scouring, looking for an opportunity. It may be one year, maybe two years, but I guarantee this is not the end. It's going back and forth hard. That is amazing. The, a promise of things to come from Brian Wilde. Brian, as, as always, th- this was great to catch up. Obviously, we haven't spoken for the last couple of months or so since the uh, the Stanley Cup final came to an end. So we appreciate you hopping on. Well, I think we'll have lots to talk about in the season ahead. Pleasure. Always uh, love talking to you, Reed. anytime. <laughs> All right, that's Brian Wilde from Global Montreal. So uh, he thinks the Canadians are going to match with uh, Mark Bergevin putting on his red thinking suit to uh, get the deal done, and he thinks Bergevin's going to come back firing and, and do something back to the Hurricanes, that the uh, offer sheet warfare is not finished between these two clubs. Uh, going to be interesting to watch for sure. They are winding down in Calgary. Canada has hit 60 shots on goal with 321 left in the third. It is uh, only 3 nothing Canada, so an outstanding performance by the Swiss goalkeeper. 57 saves. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Gives on 60 shots. Shots are 60-10 in favor of Canada. It's Inside Sports on Chet. to go Canada got a goal during the break for nothing Canada leading Switzerland so it's going to be Canada and the United States of course for gold that one will start at five o'clock mountain time tomorrow so we'll have the updates for you during inside sports Morley Scott were uh, and I were talking about how women's hockey is notorious for blowout games uh, heavily lopsided in favor of Canada and the United States over the years the games have gotten more competitive i mean even despite this this shot clock uh now i think 63 10 for canada i i've looked up here the very first women's world hockey championship played in ottawa in march of 1990 canada was in group a they beat sweden 15-1 they beat west germany 17 nothing 
And then they beat Japan 18-0 for a goal differential of 51. They were plus 49 in three games. The United States on the other side of the draw opened up uh, their tournament with a 16-3 win over Switzerland, then a 17-0 win over Norway, and then a close one. They beat Finland 5-4. So the United States actually had a really close game. In the semifinals, the, the Finns were good. Canada beat Finland 6-5, and the United States beat Sweden 10-3. So Finland was hung right in there, uh, lost by a goal to the United States, lost by a goal to Canada in the semifinals, and then the championship game for the first-ever women's world gold was uh, won by Canada by a score of 5-2. So it was Canada, U.S., Finland winning the uh, games in that tournament. In, in 1992, Finland hosted it. And uh, the Finns were were still pretty good. They got the bronze once again in, in a close one. And Canada actually crushed the United States 8-0 in the gold medal game that year. And then, you know, throughout the 90s, the United States kept getting better. And now it's been uh, back and forth. Well, the, actually, I shouldn't say back and forth because in terms of the World Hockey Championships, the United States has uh, had the edge recently. So anyway, it is over. 4 nothing. Canada wins over Switzerland. I expect a very close game tomorrow when they play for gold all right uh 7804960063 if you uh want to get in on the show the elks today with the announcement october 15th will be the day where you have to be fully vaccinated to go to a game at commonwealth stadium the elks do have two home games before then President and CEO Chris Preston was asked, why wait until the 15th? We are operating a very large vessel here and uh, trying to turn this large vessel around in the Suez Canal takes some time. Uh, we have 1,600 game day employees, and we wanted to make sure that we gave them time to react and to act. We also have a large fan base that needs to act and react to that. And uh, this gives everyone a chance to get done what they need to get done to become organized and frankly helps us to get organized as well so that we can create an efficient environment when we get to October 15th. All right. So just a little bit uh, of an update there. Okay. Still have more to come. We'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the hockey stories going on in the world. We will have Steve. Oh, we've got Steve sir on the show. This is great. Uh, Steve sir, still the all time record holder in the NCAA for most accurate three point shooter in terms of percentage. And uh, you know, he should have been in the Olympics. Canadian 3x3 basketball player. That is three, uh, three against three. Three on three basketball. 3x3 is the cool lingo. I always have somebody ask me that. It's 3x3. He's coming up. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Stick around. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Gold medal game tomorrow at 5, Canada and the United States for supremacy in women's hockey. That'll be fun to watch that one. We'll keep you updated during tomorrow's show. Just to quickly clarify a story I mentioned earlier, the former general manager of the uh, Devon Golf Club, Scott Borsa, pleaded uh, guilty a week ago 
to uh, uh, the exact charge was theft over five thousand dollars. He uh, embezzled uh, uh, over eight hundred forty-six thousand dollars from the Devon Golf Club from uh, February twenty nineteen to March of twenty twenty-one, and uh, he is uh, currently at being held at the Remand Center, and there will be uh, sentencing September sixteenth. So uh, the exact. I believe I said the charge was embezzlement, which is not actually uh, the name of the charge. It is theft over $5,000, but he embezzled the money from the golf club. So that's a quick update on that story. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Elks Radio 630. Chad, as uh, we uh, count down to the Labor Day Classic, which is going to be one week from today, 1 o'clock countdown to kickoff, Elks and Stampeders. And uh, 2.30 for the kickoff to the game. It has been a miserable time on Labor Day for the Elks. They did not play a game last year, which was an improvement over the eight previous results. Many of these scores are not... 2320, 2017-39-18, 2016-45-24, 2015-16-7, which I should add was the last game Edmonton lost that year. That was the last game Edmonton lost. James Franklin started. Riley came in. Michael Riley came in in the fourth quarter to try to rally the Elks. They could not pull it out. And then they won their final eight regular season games, the West Final and the Grey Cup for a 10-game winning streak to close out the season. So, okay, that one, it was not a good Labor Day, but they uh, they did indeed have a pretty good season. 2014, Calgary won at 28-13. 2013, Calgary won 37-34. So, I mean, there were a few close ones, but there have been some ugly ones. 31-30 was the Calgary win in 2012. The last Edmonton win on Labor Day was decisively in favor of the double E, 35-7. And as Morley Scott and I were talking about in 2010, Morley's first year doing the play-by-play, 52-5 for the Stampeders. And they won 32-8 in, in 2009. So uh, quickly, what is that? 84-13 to over two years. So eight in a row for the Stamps on Labor Day and 10 of the last 11. This one should be anybody's game. I, 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 I'm curious to see who's going to be favored in this game. Calgary's one and three. Edmonton's uh, one and two. Edmonton, uh, Calgary will probably be favored. It's in Calgary. They uh, they've still been able to move the ball with the the young quarterback at the helm. Edmonton's coming off the COVID delay that cost them the game in Toronto. I I would think Calgary would still be favored slightly in the game, though both teams are going in with just a win. It it is going to be, and, and this is why, as I was saying last week, the Elks from a standing standpoint, could not afford to forfeit the game to Toronto. Hey, they're going to play it at some point, probably by the end of the week. We'll know for when it's rescheduled, but they need to play it and they need a chance to win it because right now in the West, you got Saskatchewan 3-0. They are the best team in the league. So yes, sometimes I troll Ryder Nation and take little jabs at them. Well, you got the best team in the league right now. Winnipeg's 3-1. BC's now 2-2. Now BC lost to Edmonton. They did win in Calgary and they did win at Ottawa. Uh, I'm not sure BC is a great team, but they are two and two. The uh, Elks still play them again 
late in the regular season. The Elks go to uh, odd schedule this year for a variety of reasons, only 14 games. The Elks are going to go to BC twice. The Lions do not come to Commonwealth. Edmonton's one and two, Calgary's one and three. And in the in the East, I mean, it's still up for grabs. You got Toronto two and one. The other three teams are one and two. I, I would think Hamilton's going to come on at some point. Uh, Montreal is a bit of a wild card to me. Ottawa, and, and this is this is what pains me for the Elks, I think Ottawa is as close to a free space on the bingo card as you are going to come in the CFL this year, and the Elks lost to them. And and that could turn out to be costly at the end of the year. So uh, already for the Elks, it's going to be hard to get into the top two if they got to try to get that three sweet, if finishing fourth and crossovering. Uh, crossovering. Is crossovering a word and getting the crossover? To the uh, to the east as the Elks did in uh, 2019, certainly not a guarantee. Not a lot of points being scored in the CFL. I- I've asked a couple of people out about that o- over the last week. Um, you know, they definitely have been told that you have to remember the offenses didn't play for a year and a half, and they're still finding ways to click. And sometimes early in seasons, you do see the advantages for the defense. Um, I think there have been other things going on in the CFL in recent years because, because I do think not just the scores are coming down to some extent, but I think the, the big plays, the, the number of big plays in a game are decreasing. Uh, I think you see more zone defense being called by defensive coordinators. Zone defense cuts down on big plays against. It cuts down on pass interference calls against because don't remember if it's close now, the offensive team can challenge it and maybe get a call out of it. And I, 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 you know, there's there's a huge emphasis on ball control and completion percentage. I think there's always been an emphasis on ball control in football, but I mean, I can remember being a real little young lad running around the uh, the farm north of Evansburg. And, uh, you know, looking at and quarterbacks would be 55, 60%. Well, he's pretty accurate. That- With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That's not good enough. I mean, you got to be up around 70, 75% these days. So uh, I, I think you have a lot of short passes and you have a lot of zone defenses. And that means that teams can take away the big play. And they're saying, okay, you can complete five passes in a row, but maybe you're only going to gain about 35 yards on those passes. You miss the sixth pass on whatever, second and three, second and four, second and five, and we got you kicking. And maybe it's only for a field goal, so we're giving up three and not six or seven. I, I think that's what's happening. I, I think the days of the uh, the mad bomber quarterbacks, if you want, <laughs> if you want to call them that, you know, the, the Matt Dunnigans of the world that would just chuck it, might throw a couple of picks, but but they might score three or four or five touchdowns and maybe run for one or two themselves. I I think we've lost a little bit of that from the CFL. I'd like to see it come back. Will it ever? I don't know if it can. I I, I think the the game to some extent has evolved away from that. I think Vernon Adams from Montreal has elements of his game, and that's why he can be exciting because when he puts the ball up in the air, he'll often push it down the field 
And sometimes it might be an ill-advised throw, which uh, leads to exciting plays, but not for Montreal because they don't want the turnovers. So anyway, just some early season thoughts there on the Canadian Football League. It is 741. We'll take a quick timeout. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Can also update you on the uh, Blue Jays game. They are looking good. Now into the top of the ninth, the Blue Jays leading the Orioles 7-2. As I mentioned, Canada over Switzerland 4-0 in the semifinals at the Women's World Hockey Championship. United States beating Finland 3-zip. So Canada, U.S. once again for the, uh, what are we up to? I think the 19th time in 20 tournaments. Once again, playing for gold at the Worlds. I am always pleased to welcome back to the show one of the all-time greatest basketball players ever to come out of our fine city. It is Steve Sir on the line. Steve, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight. Uh, before we get to your news of the day, you're always good for a yarn or two. Yeah. Uh, we, we saw Canada win this uh, semifinal 4 nothing. It, it shouldn't have been that close. I mean, they, they had over 60 shots on goal. Mm. Most lopsided game you have ever been a part of, either for or against. Does something ring a bell? Oh, man. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to have to really uh, think back here because I've played against some really good teams, which usually means that you've had a chance to get your ass kicked by some really good teams. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, I had the, this was actually really a lot of fun. Uh, we had an opening game my senior year at Northern Arizona. We opened at Kansas. And, uh, I mean, this is like basketball royalty obviously there's the blue blood programs in in the united states of kentucky and duke and north carolina and kansas and you know those types of schools ucla so we're playing at fog allen Fieldhouse on opening night and they're ranked number one in the country they have julian wright and sasha khan and brandon roy and mario chalmers and like all these guys that went on playing the nba so you come out two hours before the game and the student section's full like just packed full and everyone starts booing you the second you walk on the floor. It's impossible not to laugh a little bit because you're like, oh, man, this is so cool. Like, they can't stand me, but it's still really cool. Um, we start off the game. I hit a three the first play of the game. And, like, Fog Allen is, like, history basketball. James Naismith, Wilt Chamberlain, all this stuff. So there's 15,000 people, and it's Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, all this stuff. I hit the first three of the game, and I'm like, you know what? this is going to be all right. And we're, we play him even for like a couple of possessions. And then Julian Wright, we come down in transition, we're on defense and Julian Wright gets it like what felt like at half court. And he was so huge. He took two steps and had this crazy dunk and the whole place just comes unglued. And we all kind of look at each other and we're like, well, like that's probably it. And the, it was just, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was downhill from there. Let's call it. I think we wound up losing by about 35, but I said after the game, and I still feel this way, like that was one of the most fun basketball games I've ever been a part of. Cause one, you're playing against six, seven, eight NBA guys. And two, you're, you're getting a chance to experience uh, one of the greatest basketball environments you'll see anywhere in the world. So it was one of those you're losing, it's tough, but at the same time though, you kind of appreciated of like, if you're into college basketball, if you're into the history of the game, this is one of the five places you'd probably talk about. And we had a chance to play there. So it's a, uh, it was an ass whipping, but it was a treasured memory. Okay, so tell me about 
I mean, you mentioned the the fan reaction at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Are they right on top of you where you ran onto the court and you feel like, you know, thousands of fans are going to tumble right on top of you? Is it is it that packed, that condensed, so to speak? Kind of. I mean, you. They, of course, like everything's done for a reason down there. So, of course, our tunnel comes out and behind you when you come out because you're blind, um, that's where the students are. So you're walking out and you're like, oh, no one's really in the gym yet. And all of a sudden your head comes out and like booze just hits you like a bat over the head. And then you flip around and you make eye contact with everybody because, of course, you're, you're going to react to that kind of noise. And the worst thing you can do is make eye contact. So you turn around and you look at them and then they look you like dead in your eyes. And they're all like saying the weirdest stuff, like, you know, things you're like, wait, how do they know that about me? And um, yeah, they like just they like burn right into your soul. And it's two hours before tip and you're like, oh, man, like I'm not sweating it. And it's like, OK. Yeah, you are a little bit like it kind of rattles you a little bit. So um, that was one of those places. Another place that I played at, like uh, that was similar to that was actually the University of Wyoming. They had like a, a run in the 2000s where they were really good top 25 team. And I mean, what else is there to do in Laramie, Wyoming, except go to the ball game? So uh, student sections full. Everyone's, you know, super rowdy and fired up. And uh, the elevation was over 7,000 feet. So you're also coming out to warm up and you're like, man, the air's kind of, uh, kind of thin in here. So those, those kind of environments are, I mean, are so special with, with United States basketball because it feels like you said, the fans are like right on top of you. Like if you were to fall into the, into the crowd, you just hit a wall or something. Okay, well, you're going to love this. As you were talking, and I love the way you, tell, you just tell stories. Uh, it was November 11th, 2006, Northern yep. Arizona at Kansas. Uh, yep. Kansas uh, won the game 91-57. Uh, yep. Steve Sir played 26 oh, yeah. minutes, went three for seven uh-huh. um, with nine points. You were the second highest scorer on your team, uh, Deverick Taylor got 12 i believe coming off the bench oh so yeah and, and i remember this because we all gave him crap after the game those those 12 were the most like first team all garbage time minutes points <laughs> ever because he just came in gunning in the last five minutes and he left the game and after i remember after the game in the locker room he was all fired up like yeah we could build on this and everyone's like deverick just cool out man like he was a freshman it's meant a lot and we were all like hey man good for you but it was always kind of those those asterisks. Like the, for the seniors, we did get pumped. Let's just cool out a little bit here. So it right. was, yeah. I mean, it was. That was one of those games. I remember uh, I talked to Coach Self after the game, and he was really complimentary to me. And um, it was cool because I knew for me coming into that game, you're playing against NBA level athleticism and talent, and I was the focal point of the D. Of Sir is not going to get any looks. So it was. Uh, it was a fun game from that end because you really felt like I, the second you shook somebody loose, there was somebody else waiting for you that had a wingspan that was uh, just total different, different stratosphere of, of, of gifts. And uh, it was one of those unique challenges of can you get some shots off against guys that in a year or two are going to be playing against the best players in the world. It is interesting to me how you mentioned that the fans just treated you like you were a lifelong enemy of Kansas University, that they knew personal <laughs> things about you. Because, look, 
I, I, I've attended every Oilers game for like the last decade. Now I, I do sit in the, with, with the media, I'm not right in the crowd, but I can certainly tell when uh, the Florida Panthers come to town, there, there's mm. not quite the same buzz I, I, in yes. the building, but, but the Kansas fans, like if you, if you're playing against the Jayhawks, they, you, they just treat you like you're the most evil human being alive, whether you're on Kansas state Duke or Northern Arizona. Totally. I mean, we were we were kind of the opening season, so everyone was fired up for a team that was number one in the country. This is their first chance. I mean, there's always those stories of those colleges in the States of camping out for days before to get tickets. I mean, when we pulled up to the arena, guys tried to play it cool, but, like, this was like pulling up to a museum mixed with a concert. Like, there's all this stuff in their foyer paying tribute to the historical things that have happened in Fog Allen Fieldhouse with James. I mean, you know, James Naismith was, was the coach there and he invented the game for goodness sake. So there's all this stuff that's, that's in the foyer that when you walk through, it's like a museum, but there's so many people out in the front trying to get in because this is the, one of the hottest tickets in the state to come watch a basketball game. And there's 15,000 people but I bet there's probably 10,000 people waiting outside for scalpers. So, I mean, again, you try and play it off when you're 23, 24 of like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. It's like, no, 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 this is really cool because <laughs> this is this is like the NBA just at the collegiate level. It's just the best show around. Steve Sergio joining us at Inside Sports. All right, you have been uh, an absolute leader when it's come to 3x3 basketball in Canada. Unfortunately, uh, your run to play in uh, in Tokyo came up just a little bit short. And, and I understand you have some new teammates here to start the next cycle. What's going on? Yeah, we're going to be playing uh, in the Montreal World Tour Masters uh, this upcoming weekend, September 4th and 5th. Uh, we're going to have a, a few new guys running with Team Edmonton, so it'll be myself, uh, uh, Albertan named Ross Beckering, who actually played for the Dutch at the Tokyo Olympics. And he'll be playing with us. He played at the University of Calgary. And then uh, the two other guys are going to be from out east, uh, Alex Johnson and uh, one of the Edmonton singers, Adika Peter McNeely. So uh, Alex and Adika were, Alex played for the for Team Canada when we were at the Olympic qualifier. And Adika was um, one of our alternates. So he was along for the training and, and I think was really well suited for three on three. So we're going to give it a bit of a, of a try with a, a different look. It should be fun. I think the guys are, are excited to play. Uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a shift from what we've done in the past, but you know, I mean, this is part of where three on three is at right now in our country. We have to try and look to, to create new players and, you know, the, the experiences that we had as team Edmonton with myself and Kyle Landry and Jordan Jensen white and, Jordan Baker and Jermaine Buckner, I think, uh, were another good step in the direction of what we want three-on-three to be in our country, especially in our area of the country. And uh, I'm excited to see how we do this week, and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's just going to be also nice to be back competing uh, in our country. Uh, Montreal is such a beautiful place, and uh, there's going to be a lot of other really good teams there, so we'll put our best foot forward and, and represent Canada and, and Edmonton to the best of our ability. Did you watch a lot of the 3x3 tournament at the Olympics, or, or, or are you one of those guys it's, it's hard to watch when, you know, you feel like you, you should have been there? What was your approach? Uh, no, I, I, I did watch. I mean, there was – I was definitely reaching behind trying to, like, you know, get the burning knife out of my back because it definitely was uh, – definitely was tough at times. Um, but for me, you know, having been involved in this in the lead-up to the Olympics – it was painful and uh you know I, I, there aren't a lot of words that i would be able to use to, to properly to describe it it hurt in a way that it hasn't hurt 
uh, when we didn't qualify, because this has taken a couple of years of a lot of effort and a, and a lot of uh, sacrifice um, to try and get there. We didn't get there, but I really did feel uh, a sense of pride to see the sport on that on that stage uh, for the FIBA people who have worked so hard to to push the sport to the Olympics. And then also for the players. I mean, this is a this is the first in the history, and you know a lot of these guys we're friends with. A lot of these guys we played against and battled against in different countries around the world. So to see them on that stage, I you know I'd be lying if I wasn't if I didn't say I was a little envious. But I also did feel uh, I was happy for those guys because I mean what a, what an experience, and and they really represented the sport well. I thought three on three looked great. Uh, the games were great. The players uh, showed the skill level was high and. You know, this could be the start of of the next big step for three on three. It's on the Olympic stage, and I, this could push it in a in a direction that it just hasn't gone yet. So to have been a part of that is a privilege, and um, I feel grateful for that. And uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a hell of a journey to try and get there, and, and a lot of a lot of great memories with some really good friends to try and push. We didn't quite get it done, but uh, it was a, it was a, a treat to watch it on the Olympic stage. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. I, I always love when you're on, and all the best with the new team. Go get them in Montreal this weekend, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Reed, for having me. Always good to talk to you, buddy. Steve, sir, from T. Edmonton, 3X3. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio operator. We're back at 6 tomorrow. My name's Reed. Take care. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.